You know, when you think of State Fair Park and you think of the Sun Dome and the stadium and the parking lots and all of the people, you think of crowds and you think of people that are coming for one big purpose. And we're a crowd today and our one purpose is Jesus Emmanuel, the worship of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it's great to be able to be here. And we want to thank uh, Pastors Craig and Josh and the others who have uh, put together our band here today to help us worship. And they do it every Sunday and they do a wonderful job to lead us in worship. Thank you for doing that. We decided today that uh, since there are four pastors, each of us would take our 30 minutes, and so get your seatbelts on and we'll go from there. We're all going to speak, and we're going to speak on the same passage. This last Easter, over 2,300 people attended one of our four churches, Harvest, Sun Valley, Restoration Church in Westside, which were together. Uh, they weren't completely born yet, but it was on the way. And uh, that's who we represent today, those numbers of people. But the thing that's unique about the Lord's church is that every single individual in the crowd matters. Everyone is a soul that is coveted by Jesus Christ for salvation, for forgiveness. God loves each and every individual. So when you see a crowd, everyone matters in His church. But also when you see a crowd, you have four churches together, you have crowds of churches, you think that we're not alone either. We recognize there are other churches in the valleys that preach the gospel of Jesus. We realize that there are other churches in central Washington to central Mexico to central Asia and around the world. And in fact, it goes beyond that, of course. All throughout time, from Adam to eternity, there is in the clouds above another gathered group of saints who we join together to worship the Lord. That cloud and crowd of saints is what is talked about in Hebrews chapter 12. So get your Bibles out, turn with me to Hebrews 12 and verse 1. That is our study text today. Hebrews 12.1. The crowd who is the church. If you think about the different uh, things that are used in the Bible to describe the church, we think of the church as the bride of Christ, a very beautiful picture. We think of the church as the body of Christ, all the different members working together. We think of the church as the building, the living stones that God puts together. But when we come to Hebrews 12, the image that is used of the church is God's track team. The church is God's track team. Hebrews 12.1, therefore, since we, the people of faith, are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all the heroes of the faith through all of time. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. When I think of a track team, I think of taut, lean, muscular, fit people that are pursuing a goal. They're determined, a leggy, long, half-crazy people. I say half-crazy because I'm not a runner and I do not understand the joy and the pants and the sweat and the pain and all of those kinds of things. Uh, and yet, that idea of being taught and fit is a good description of the people of God. Not so much as I look out today describing all of us physically, necessarily, but it is a good description of the people of God. We are supposed to be spiritually fit. We are supposed to be determined, focused. To the world, we're going to seem half crazy. We're pursuing a goal. We're persevering. The mark, the race that is marked out for us. We are to be that way because we are a part of the cloud, we're a part of the crowd of people, the witnesses for the worship of Christ. That's why we're here today. And so how do we run this race as God's track team? How do we do it well? 
Already in verse 1, we're told the first thing that we need to do to run the race is we need to throw off everything that hinders us. It doesn't do any good to get into a race and to take off with an overcoat and a crash helmet and some army boots on. We've got to get rid of those things. For God's people, that is sin. We need to have times of confession and repentance, keeping short accounts with God, casting that aside so that we can run. Another way that we run is in verse 2. Read that with me. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. People who are runners will tell you, you've got to keep your eyes fixed on the prize. You've got to know where the finish line is. You've got to look and make sure you know where you're headed. And that's true for us. The finish line is Jesus. He's run the race before us. We fix our eyes on him. That's how we're going to be able to run this race. In addition to that, we're told in the next few verses that there are some disciplines that will help us. In verse 3, it says we're supposed to in, endure hardship as discipline from God. Uh, verse 7 says that. And then ver look at verse 12. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless. These instructions are not sort of the pantings of an unfit jogger. These are the disciplined footsteps of a paced runner for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can almost hear it in the commands, the instructions that are given here. Throw off sin. Fix on Jesus. Endure hardship. Strengthen arms. Make level paths. Live at peace. Be holy. Don't miss grace. No bitter root. No sexual immorality. No godlessness. These are the paced, uh, running uh, disciplines of someone who's running for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it won't be easy. But the thing that we know that will help us is that we do it together. And again, that's why we're here today. We do not run alone. In this race... There are the cloud of witnesses above who've gone before us that are cheering us on. And also, we run with each other. We don't run against one another. We're helping each other along the way. And we're not running for our own glory. We're running for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's who we are as four churches, worshiping together God's track team to honor Him. Believe it or not, there are still people in this valley and have been for a number of years who now believe that Westside has had three church splits and that, in fact, we have masked all of our bitterness and disagreement under the guise of church planting, but that in reality, we have actually divided and are in disunity. By God's amazing grace, I'm here to tell you that it just ain't so. And that's, that's just God's grace. We have been able to work together and see God multiply churches because the most important thing to us is the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are a part of that crowd of witnesses in the worship of Christ. And that's why we're here together. We run together as God's track team. Now thinking about that racing team and how we become a part of that team and what the race looks like, I want to invite John Schubert uh, to come next. John was really the first to take the DNA of church planting that was in Westside and has been for 60 years now 
and to turn that into a daughter church. And he's going to take us into the next part of this passage to talk about this racing team, what it looks like, and how we will run the race. Pastor John. It's good to be uh, together with all of you in uh, the Sun Dome. So we are, we are here together, uh, and Pastor Rick has described us as a team, and what teams do and what teams look like. And the question that I have for us this morning is, how do you get on the team? I mean, I could say I'm a member of the Seattle Mariners. I might not want to do that, but I could say that I'm a member of the Seattle Mem uh, Mariners, but... Uh, just saying that I'm a Seattle Mariner doesn't make me a Seattle Mariner. I could buy a uniform and I could go out and throw the baseball around, hit batting practice, maybe even run the bases. That doesn't make me a Seattle Mariner. The only way that I'm going to become a Seattle Mariner is if I'm drafted or I'm invited by the Seattle Mariners Baseball Club to participate with them. I'm going to take you through the next portion of Hebrews 12 and show you that's fairly similar to how we become part of God's team. Listen as I read from Hebrews 12, verses 18 through 21. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words were made, who made the hearers beg that no further messages may be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. This sounds fairly ominous because it was fairly ominous. This is a record of God delivering the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. This is the first covenant, the covenant of law that God established with his people. And so we have this important element of team membership. I want you to listen closely this morning. You may have been going to the church that you're going to for your entire life, but unless you understand what I'm about to tell you, all this is pretense. So listen. The author of Hebrews is reminding his Jewish readers, and the Holy Spirit is reminding us this morning, of the stark differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. His point is that no one can survive under the old covenant because it is an unbending covenant of law. And no one can fully keep the law. The law brings fear and judgment. As Paul said to the Romans, he said, all have sinned and fall short of God's righteous standards. And if you sin, what can you expect? The judgment of death, Paul tells us. James tells us something similar. He says that if we break one tiny piece of the law, we are guilty of breaking all of the law. So you can't say, I'm generally a good person and expect to be acceptable to God. It doesn't work that way. No one can establish or meet the standards of God's law. In fact, trying to meet the standards of God's law is a bad approach to God, according to Scripture. No one can keep it. In fact, the law was designed by God for this one truth. Listen closely. This is why the law was written. To communicate to you, you can't keep it. <laughs> That's why the law was communicated. This is what Galatians tells us. Therefore, the law has become our tutor. The law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ. 
That is good news. So that we can be justified by faith. The law was put in place for one reason. To communicate to you that you can't do it so that you'll run to Christ. That is the point of the law. By God's grace, he gave us the law. In fact, we can say this with great joy. The law is an act of grace. You ever think of that? We think, oh, let's run away from the law. We're not legalists. You had better be thankful for the law. Without the law, you would be still in your sin. You wouldn't even know that you were a sinner. But by God's grace, he has given us the law so that we will run to Christ, realizing we can't fulfill his demands on our own. What a joy that is, to know that God has provided a way whereby we can come to him by grace through faith. Faith. The purpose of the law is to bring us face to face with our own sinfulness, which in turn leads us to Christ by and through grace. And so trying to get on God's team by keeping the law is a bad idea. Just like trying to become a member of the Mariners is a bad idea. Not because they're a bad team, because you can't do it just by buying a uniform. It doesn't work that way. This is what Paul tells the Galatians. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. And so we have to look at it this way. Everyone will be judged on one of two bases. Either we will be judged by the law or by grace, by his own works or by Christ's work, by the provisions of Sinai or by the provisions of Zion. And we don't want to come to God on the basis of law, but on the basis of grace. We don't want to come to God on the basis of Sinai, but on the basis of Zion. And if you are on God's team, this is what you will embrace, this is what you will have embraced. So we can say this to conclude before I invite up Pastor Jason. We don't despise the law. We are thankful for it because it points us by grace to Christ. We come into a relationship with God by grace through faith. We also come together into worship together as a family of faith through that same faith and grace provided by God that we come to know because of the law. Praise the Lord. Jason Williams from Harvest, come tell us how that looks like. Well, good morning. Say that back to me. Good morning. I want to say thank you uh, to Pastor John. Uh, I want to say thank you to him personally because he hired me in 1998, allowing me to gather with you here in the Northwest, allowing me to gather with what God was already doing here in the Yakima Valley. I also want to say thank you personally to Pastor Rick, who did not fire me between 1998 <laughs> and 2008, which allows us to gather in this way. Praise God that he is in control. The scriptures make it very clear, and that's what we look at today, that God loves to gather his people. He loves to gather his people together. And you think that, that seems strange as we celebrate these churches that have gone out from one church that have been scattered to different parts of our valley, and yet we're celebrating gathering. Yes, God can use scattering to gather his people together. I love that Pastor Rick drew our attention to the great cloud of witnesses. All those who have gone before us and have finished their race, they are now gathered 
Hebrews 12.1 said, again, that they surround us. Would you just take a moment and look around you? There are folks that you know. There are folks that you don't know. Would you just make eye contact, as awkward as that may be with somebody? We are surrounded, it says, by a great cloud of witnesses, those who have run their race and have finished. They now surround us. And then Pastor John brought our attention to Mount Sinai, where the law was given. When God gathered his chosen people, the people of Israel, he had led out of slavery. He gathered them together to give them the law. And now we see as we preach through this passage together, which is in itself a miracle that we can all hold it in, all right, to a a certain amount of time. The passage that we look at is a unit, and so I want to read these next verses together. Would you read along with me? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the city of the living God, You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men. To the spirits of righteous men made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is God's word, amen? We notice here that as we dive into God's word and uh, we come again and again to each of these sections, we see that they are filled to the brim. They are overflowing with good news. Because right now, we are here at this time. This is when he's placed us in this place in this part of the world, at least for now. And we are celebrating that God is still into gathering his people to himself. There really is a contrast that we see between verse 18 and verse 22. Verse 18 begins with this. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, that can be touched, that is burning with fire. Verse 22, but you have come. You have not come, but now you have come. We are different than what God was doing at Mount Sinai. He is now doing something new, and yet he is doing the same thing. He is gathering his people to himself, his chosen people to himself. Across the world, he is gathering people to himself. Pastor John made it very clear that the law was to show you that you needed to be gathered and that you could not be gathered apart from him coming to you and coming to me. You have not come to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai revealed that old covenant. Mount Zion reveals a new covenant, a new work that God is saying, I am going to do this and this time gather people to himself. None of us could please God on Sinai's terms, which would be to perfectly fulfill the law. Only Christ could do that. But Zion, however, is accessible to all who come to God through Jesus Christ. You want to be a part of this gathering. Everyone in our valley needs to be a part of this gathering. People around the world are outside of the gathering and need to be brought in. How will they be brought in? 
this passage very clearly says this. They will be brought in through Jesus' blood. Didn't we just sing about that? They'll be brought in through Jesus' blood, which brings forgiveness. Verse 24, it says, it's greater than Abel's blood. Abel's blood cried out for judgment. Abel's blood cried out for vengeance. Jesus' blood cries out forgiveness. You can come into this gathering through Jesus' blood. You can come in because Jesus is our great mediator, which brings us peace. Jesus came to sinful man, each of us. The law tells us we're sinful. And he said, I've come to bring you back into relationship with the living God, to bring you in. Jesus, our mediator. Jesus' blood. Jesus, our mediator. And that brings us into this new gathering, which brings us to something that we all need, and that is an unshakable reality. An unshakable reality. And that is a present unshakable reality. When I watched the news, even in this last week, I realized how easily our world is shaken. 19 firefighters killed. Homes shaken. Communities shaken. We need an unshakable confidence in this life. We need an unshakable reality because our health is shakable. Our finances are shakable. Our relationships are shakable. The very ground we walk on is shakable. But when you're gathered in, you are brought into an unshakable reality through Jesus Christ. Is that good news today? That is good news. We're brought into an unshakable reality. We're brought into an unshakable gathering. Into an assembly, it says, where thousands upon thousands of angels are in joyful assembly. We get to celebrate with them. We're brought into what is known as the church of the firstborn. Every one of us considered firstborn. Headed up by the one and only firstborn from the dead. His name is Jesus Christ. And he is to be praised. We gather with the angels. We gather with all those who are called the redeemed. Even the Old Testament saints. Which this passage calls righteous men who have been perfected. We gather with them and lift up the name of Jesus. Today you are invited into this unshakable gathering. Into this present reality. And we look forward to an unshakable future which is secure in Jesus. You see, the scene that we read about, that Pastor John read about at Mount Sinai, where there was darkness and the earth quaked and the rocks split and there was trembling and there was fear, it was repeated for us. It was repeated at the cross. At the cross, the sky was darkened. And the earth shook. And the rocks split. And there was a shaking that happened there. But we are gathered because Jesus, the righteous judge, was shaken for us. Therefore, we come through his blood and through him into this gathering and that is why we've gathered here today to celebrate. That's why we look forward to an even greater gathering. That one day with people ever, every tribe and tongue and nation, we will gather with them and lift up the name of Jesus. 
Are you looking forward to that day? There's more to come. I want to invite Pastor Kevin Diet of Restoration Church to bring us, bring us forward in this passage so we can celebrate appropriately. Pastor Kevin. So the question is, are you, are you clapping because he's done or you're clapping because I'm coming up? I'm not sure what you guys are clapping for. Um, as Jason mentioned, my name is Kevin Diet, lead pastor of Restoration Church. Excited to be here with you guys today. As the other lead pastors and I got together a few weeks ago when we were planning out this service, it was decided that uh, Pastor Rick would go first, and then Pastor John, and then Pastor Jason, and then me. And I said, well, why am I going last? I realize it's because I have one minute left, so let's pray. No, um, I keep telling myself they, they wanted to save the best for last, but um, probably it has to do with we're the latest last church plant, so that's why we get to speak last. So glad you guys are here with us, glad to be here. Uh, with my message, I get to bring this to a close by looking at two, I want to look at two things from verses 25 through 29. So um, we're going to look at two things from those verses and then offer a call to respond. So let's read verses 25 through 29 together. Uh, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, so if it's a little different than the NIV, it's still God's Word. Let's read. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will they escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. It's God's word for us. I want to first look from these first few verses. I want you to see verse 26. I want you to see in verse 26 that God has appointed a great earthquake that will bring this earth and bring this world to a close. A final great shaking on the earth and the heavens that someday that will end this fallen creation as we know it and bring the kingdom of God into consummation. What this is saying is, is it is a biblical prophecy that there is coming a day in which there will be such a violent shaking in creation that the world that we, as we know it, will be removed. It will be no more. There will come a new heaven and a new earth on which, on which righteousness dwells but this world that we know this world that we live in will come to a catastrophic end and the book of relation of revelation which is the last book of our bibles this guy named john who was one of Jesus' disciples he wrote this he said in, in revelation chapter 16 he said a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying it is done and there were flashes of lightning and rumblings pearls of thunder and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. And the great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon to the, the great to make her drain the cup of wine of the fury of his wrath. Now see, living in the northwest, we know the earthquakes are a part of our region. 
I remember in my elementary school days at Robertson Elementary, this was before we had to do the lockdown practices. We used to have to do earthquake practices where we had to practice climbing underneath our table and sit underneath our desk for what seemed like eternity but was really like three or four minutes. And we'd sit under the desk thinking about the, uh, what would happen if an earthquake came. And all of us kids would think about what would happen if the big one came. The big one came. I hope that we begin to get a glance of how big this big one truly will be. It is so vastly bigger than anything we can fathom. Our imaginations can't conceive of what it will be like when the stars are falling, when the skies are rolled up, when the skies are, are, are rolled up like a scroll and the earth comes out of its foundations and, and collapses and, and the mountains and the islands vanish. And there is only God with whom to deal. See, I hope and I pray that if there are any of us in here today who are putting our security and our safety and our trust in this world and the things of this world, I hope and I pray that this text makes us tremble, knowing that one day we're going to stand before God with nothing that we can stand on on this earth behind us. The only thing that we can stand before God is what's in our heart. And as we look at this great trembling, knowing that the whole world is going to become gone as we know it, I hope it causes us to tremble and to say, I cannot, I have nothing I can stand on in this world. This world has nothing that we can place our hope and our faith in. But let me say, this text isn't supposed to be a doom and gloom text because there's a great hope that we don't want to miss. Look at verses 27 and 28 with me. They say this phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. See, this is the message of the text. This, in essence, is a message of the entire Bible. Number two for us is before the end of this age, before the great and final trembling, God is giving everyone, God is giving to everyone who believes in his son a kingdom that cannot be shaken and that will never end. This is good news. This is the great joy of being a Christian. That we have received a kingdom which has already been extended to us, one in which our lives in Jesus are unshakable. That doesn't mean that we won't suffer hardships and we won't go through trials or we won't have bad days. Receiving an unshakable kingdom does not mean safety for our bodies in this world. It does not mean that we'll escape the earthquake. What it means is that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of Christ. It means that the deep and abiding certainty that whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. It means that here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city which is to come. A city whose builder and maker is God. A city that cannot be shaken forever. This is good news for you and I. This unshakable kingdom has been extended to us through the life, through the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a free gift extended to every single person. That if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved. 
and we will receive this unshakable kingdom. Our text concludes with a call to respond. Because we have received this unshakable kingdom that will withstand everything. Because we've received this unshakable kingdom, verse 28 and 29 says, Thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. See, because we have received this gift of the unshakable kingdom, it should result in our worship of Christ with reverence and with awe, because he is a consuming fire. So the question for every one of us in here today is, are you worshiping the unshakable God, or are you worshiping your shakable possessions? Is your heart fixed on God? Is God your treasure, or is this world your treasure? Is God your security, or is your retirement plan your security? Is God your fellowship, or is your family the sum total of your fellowship? Is God your portion in this life, or is this world your portion? To bring this to a close, I want to offer an opportunity to respond to God's word this morning. See, I don't want to assume that every person in here is already a Christian just because we go to church. Well, you might have heard four different pastors come up from four different churches this morning with different styles and different personalities. I know that every one of us are in agreement that we would want you to have the opportunity to respond to Jesus this morning, to surrender your life and your will to him, to surrender to Jesus as Lord of your life, and that you would have the opportunity to receive the unshakable kingdom today. If you would like to talk to any of us pastors about this, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk and pray with you when the service is over. And if you are already here as a Christian this morning, verse 28, 28 calls us to respond to this unshakable kingdom that has been given to us through worship. You see, this unshakable kingdom is good news, and good news makes us want to sing. So I'd invite you to join with us and respond to God's word this morning through worship. Let's pray. God, you are a consuming fire. God, you have planted these four churches in the Yakima Valley with the purpose of making this message known. Making this message known that we have an unshakable kingdom that's been extended to us by grace. And if we believe the Lord Jesus Christ in his life, his death, and his resurrection, Lord, that you would give us this unshakable kingdom today. Lord, I pray that if anybody here does not have a relationship with you, I pray that today they would receive you as their Savior. Lord, I pray for those of us in here with weights. Lord, I pray that we would rejoice that we have an unshakable kingdom, that this world is not our home, that this is, is not where we reside. And Lord, I pray that we can respond with worship of how great you are, how great your love is for us, that you've given us this unshakable kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would have your way in our hearts, that you would draw us to yourself, and that, Lord, it'd be for your glory. We ask this in your holy and perfect name. Amen.